16 and verse 5, Paul tells us that love is not irritable. That is, love is not easily angered, as the Net Bible translates it. Or as Philip's translation puts it, love is not touchy. I read a story about an incident that occurred at an airport. There was a fellow who was checking his luggage in at the curb, and he became absolutely irate with the fellow who was handling his luggage. He berated, he verbally abused this young man uh, all up and down. But the porter just seemed to take it all in stride. It didn't seem to bother him at all. And then finally the angry man walked in and a woman who'd been standing nearby and had observed everything walked up and complimented him on the way he'd handled it. And she said, how do you deal with a situation like that? And he said, oh, it's easy. That guy's going to New York. His bags are going to Brazil. Maybe that's why you lost your luggage at one point. Who knows? Now, that's a funny story. But we would, we would never do anything like that, would we? Either one of those parties? Do you ever lose your temper? Do you ever say things that you wish you wouldn't have said? Do you ever do things that you wish you wouldn't have done? Scripture has a good deal to say about anger. In the 19th chapter of Proverbs, verse number 11, the Proverbs writer says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now there's the secret, right? If someone offends you, and if you're a man or a woman who pursues good sense, who pursues wisdom, then you'll overlook that. You won't allow that situation to, to blow up and become an event that takes control of your life. But of course, we often find that to be one of those things that's more easily said than done. In our text, Paul says love is not irritable. Love is not easily angered. And if we want to live the more excellent way in our lives, we'll be people who pursue that. People who overcome our anger. Let's consider that together for a few minutes this morning. Paul isn't alone in Scripture in warning that our, our sudden anger, our quick tempers, our touchiness, that those things must be controlled. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17, Solomon says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. We know that's true because we've all experienced that in our own lives. Now, we may blame that on, I don't know, on our red hair. Or we may blame that on our heritage. After all, you know, I'm Irish or Latin or insert whatever stereotype you want there that supposedly has really hot-tempered people. We may even be proud of it. Like the woman who came to the evangelist, Billy Sunday, one day, and she was trying to make excuses for her temper, and she said, well, you know, it's no big deal when I lose my temper. I blow up, but then it's all over. And Sunday said, so does a shotgun. Look at the damage it leaves behind. The bottom line is, if we have a short fuse, we're going to do a lot of foolish things. We're going to say things that 
will regret saying. We're going to do things that we know we shouldn't have done. The 15th chapter of Proverbs, verse 18, says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. If you're always losing your temper, if you're walking around with that proverbial chip on your shoulder and you're just daring somebody to knock it off, then you're going to leave a trail of hurt feelings and unhappiness in your wake. Will Rogers put it, people who fly into a rage seldom make a smooth landing. It's essentially what the Proverbs writer says. A hot temper stirs up dissension, or stirs up strife. Again, from the 19th chapter of Proverbs, verse 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. We recognize the truth of that. We're reminded of it almost every day. Doctors tell us that having a quick temper can actually cause health problems for us. Headaches, insomnia, digestive issues, high blood pressure. It can even lead to premature death, especially through heart disease and heart attacks. And of course, a hot temper can also mean loss of friends. It can mean the alienation of our families. An angry man will indeed pay the penalty. And so Scripture tells us again and again and again, if you have sudden anger, if you have that hot temper, you need to control it. And of course, we say, well, you know, I'd like to, but I can't control my temper. It just, it just comes over me. You can control it. You ever gotten angry and been in a heated exchange with someone and your voice starts rising and your words come out more rapidly and your tone gets sharper and sharper and then someone calls on the phone and you pick it up? Hello? Yeah. You can control your anger. We've all experienced that. But as long as we deny it, or as long as we make excuses for it, or as long as we try to justify it or blame someone else, then we're never going to attempt to control it. We're never going to seek forgiveness for it like we ought to. We're never going to confess our problem to God and ask for His help. You know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that if we're God's people and if we have His Spirit living in us and if we allow Him to control our lives, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We can control our anger. And if you have a sudden temper, you need to do it. Now, anger isn't always forbidden, of course. Sometimes anger is justified. In fact, sometimes anger might be viewed as actually essential to love. But we need to learn how to discern that type of anger from sinful anger, that anger that's opposed to love. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 22, for example, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This passage tells us some things about how we can discern when anger is sinful and when it's not. Jesus says here, whoever is angry with his brother. Now, if you have a brother, if you have a sister, that tells us right away that we're members of the same family. Whether we're talking about a domestic family or whether we're talking about the family of God. 
But that means we need to be building one another up. We need to be strengthening. We need to be encouraging, not getting angry with our brothers and sisters. Some manuscripts include, and if you have the King James Version, it includes this in its translation, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. If you're angry with your brother and you don't have a legitimate reason, a justification for it, that tells us right there that it is sinful anger. And then beyond that, if we're angry with a person, if we're angry with our brother, rather than angry over that legitimate cause. We should never focus our anger on people. We should focus on their sins. Consider that Jesus got angry at times, but he was never angry at people. He was angry at the things they did. We'll explore that more in a few minutes. But if you're angry with your brother, that means you're angry at a person. And that means your anger is sinful. Again, in Romans chapter 12, in verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Are you the type that's always trying to get even? When you get angry, do you try to settle scores with other people? Don't be like the woman who was bitten by a rabid dog. She contracted rabies and the doctor came in and said her prognosis wasn't good, that they were going to try to do everything that they could do, but they expected it to be fatal. And so if she hadn't written a will, she needed to make it out. And so she took a pen and a paper and she started writing and writing and writing and writing. And the doctor finally said, well, that sure is a long will. And she said, will? <laughs> I'm making a list of the people I'm going to bite. Because she had rabies. Yeah. Scripture teaches us that God is the only one who has the right of vengeance, not us. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We don't have the right to repay anyone. Rather, turn that over to God. Trust in his judgment and that he'll settle all scores. He'll make things right in his own good time and in his own perfect justice. If our anger is geared toward revenge, then it's definitely a sinful anger. Then too, if it's an anger that's vengeful, it's probably also an anger that is cherished. That is, there are some people who love being angry. They nurse their old grudges. They've held on to them for years and years and years, and it's just boiling up inside them. If you're cherishing your anger, that's a sinful anger. And then if it's a cherished anger, it will also be an unforgiving anger, an anger that's not willing to let go of things in the past. The secret to getting rid of anger is to be able to forgive. But if you can't forgive, then you can't release that anger. And it builds up inside you, and that is a dangerous, volatile thing. There's a 1994 article entitled, War's Lethal Leftovers Threaten Europeans. And the reporter, Christopher Burns, writes this. The bombs of World War II are still killing in Europe. 1994, remember. They turn up and sometimes blow up 
at construction sites, in fishing nets, or on beaches 50 years after the guns fell silent. Hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. Thirteen old bombs exploded in France last year, killing 12 people and wounding 11, the Interior Ministry said. I've lost two of my colleagues, said Yvonne Bouvet, who heads a government team in the Champagne-Ardennes region that diffuses explosives from both World War I and II. Unexploded bombs become more dangerous with time, Bouvet said. With the corrosion inside, the weapon becomes more unstable. The detonator can be exposed. The same thing's true of our lingering anger. If we cherish it, and if we're unforgiving, if we bury it down, then it's liable to blow up when we least expect it. So there are the five tests of our anger to determine whether or not it's sinful. Is it anger that's directed toward a person rather than towards their sins? Is it anger that's without a legitimate cause? Is it anger that's directed toward vengeance? Do we want to get even? Do we cherish that anger? Do we hold on to it? Do we nurse it? Are we unforgiving with our anger? If the answer to any of those five questions is yes, then our anger is sinful. We need to repent of that. That's just as serious as any other sin we might be guilty of. We need to turn away from it. And until we find forgiveness from God, we're not going to be ready to forgive other people. And when we don't do that, when we hold on to our sinful anger, and when it sets in, then it becomes stubborn anger. It's there day after day after day after day. One of the classic passages that deals with anger begins in Ephesians 4, verse 26. It was read just a few moments ago. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. One day you go home and you're angry. It's just one of those days. You're in a mood, sort of spoiling for a fight. You've got that chip on your shoulder, waiting for it to be knocked off. And your wife says something that's pretty innocuous, but it hits you the wrong way, and you know, then, the, then the fight is on. We can fight about such ridiculous things sometimes. I'll give a personal example. Just last Saturday, I was helping Abby put her classroom together. And we were arranging all of her books there in the bookcase, and I'd helped her put them up there. And then at one point, we had a disagreement about how she should put them up there. I thought she should do it one way. She thought she sh should do it a different way. And I was frustrated because we weren't doing it the way I wanted to do it. And then she sort of shoved the books at me and ended up essentially throwing them at me. And, you know, you can imagine where things went from there. But my point is, how silly. What a stupid reason to fight. It's, it's her classroom. It's her books. I shouldn't care how she wants to put them there. If she wants to set it up all wrong, that's her business. <laughs> but we've all experienced things like this. You fight about something silly, but then you're dug in, and the argument goes on and on, and pretty soon the sun goes down, and you go to bed, and one of you sleeping here, and the other one's sleeping here, back to back, and you make sure that you don't touch you know what Paul says you've done here? 
you've thrown open the door and you've said, why, devil, come right in. Make yourself at home. Then in verse 31, Paul mentions what happens once we let the devil in and he starts to do his dirty work. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. The first result is bitterness. You start to think about all the bad things that people say to you, all the things that people do to you, and you start to dwell on those things and you start to let them fester. And then he says, after bitterness comes wrath and anger. Wrath is that bitterness bubbling and boiling inside you. And anger, that's that wrath no longer inside you, but you're venting it out. You start to kick the cat and punch the wall and say things that you shouldn't say. Finally, it becomes clamor or brawling and slander or insults or evil speaking, some translations say. You know, the idea... What's going on here? I come home every day. This place is a pigsty. Look at these kids. Do, do you do anything around here? You know, what do you do all day anyway? And the end result of all of this, Paul says, is malice. Malice means that you really desire to do physical harm. And that's why we end up reading so many tragic stories about domestic violence. Because the ultimate end of stubborn anger is malice. Paul says, here's the way to get rid of stubborn anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Let it go. And in verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We must note before we close that not all anger is condemned. Not all anger is in opposition to the more excellent way. After all, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. That presupposes that there must be some way to be angry and to not sin. It's okay to be angry in some ways. You can do that and not sin. Let's read from Mark chapter 3 to get an idea of what we're talking about here. I'll begin reading in verse 1, but the key verse there is on your screen. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked round at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The focus of his anger is not them personally. It's their hardness of heart. Jesus was angry because of their stubborn anger, their sin. The sun has gone down and the sun has come up and they're steeped in this stubborn anger. It's gained a foothold in their lives. They've invited Satan in. And Jesus is angry because of that. Scripture tells us, as the Hebrews writer says, that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but that he didn't sin. Jesus became angry, but it, it wasn't sinful anger. It was what we usually call righteous indignation. 
That is, he was angry over sin. He was angry at an affront to God. He was angry because of the way that people treated one another. This is anger that has the right focus, anger that has the right object. And, you know, as much as we've talked about how anger is bad today, maybe this sort of anger and an infusion of this is exactly what the church needs. To be angry over the condition of the world. To be angry because there are people out there who are lost and who are dying and groping in darkness without the gospel. To be angry just as Christ became angry. It's time for the church to become angry that way. But our anger isn't like that, is it? Our anger is that irritability Paul talked about. Our anger is selfish anger. We're easily angered. And Paul says that that is not the way of love. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't invite the devil in to gain a foothold in your life. If you've never come to Him this morning, I want to invite you to do so today. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Turn to God in repentance. Leave off your sins, whether it's anger or whether it's other sins. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with Jesus in baptism. Have all your sins washed away. Be added to His people. Begin to live out that more excellent way in your life. Maybe you're here this morning. You are a Christian, but you're struggling with some besetting sin. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's something else. But if you need to make changes this morning, if we can help you in any way, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.